public libraries continue to evolve towards more inclusive practices. There's a deepening outreach to underserved communities and embracing principles of universal access. Knowing the history and having the knowledge of past injustices and the efforts involved in overcoming them further empowers public libraries to grow stronger in, in the future. I'm Kathleen Hughes, and you are listening to FYI, the Public Libraries Podcast, a production of the Public Library Association. On this episode, we'll be discussing the history of library segregation in the Jim Crow South and the fight for desegregation. Our guests are the authors of Desegregation in Northern Virginia Libraries. Their book sheds light on the libraries in Northern Virginia during the era of segregation and the civil rights activists who fought for change. Join us as we gain valuable insights into this important part of library history. My name is Chris Barbershack. I manage Fairfax County Public Library's Virginia Room, which is the local history and genealogy branch of our library system. For the last eight years, I get paid to do what I love, which is assisting researchers with their historical and genealogical quests. Hi, I'm Suzanne LaPierre, and I'm a Virginiana Specialist Librarian with Fairfax County Public Library. I have three years of experience in the Virginia Room, which is the history and genealogy uh, part of the public library system, and about 17 years total in public library information services. Previously, I worked in academic libraries, archives, special collections, and museums. I'm also a freelance writer, and I write the Wired Library column for Public Libraries magazine. Welcome, Suzanne and Chris. Let's get started with what inspired you to write Desegregation in Northern Virginia Libraries, and how did you go about researching and writing the book? When it all began in April 2021, Suzanne and I received an email from our library director at a recent meeting for onboarding new members of the Fairfax County Public Library Board of Trustees. One new member, Dr. Sujitha Hampton, she is the vice president and education chair of the Fairfax County chapter of the NAACP. She asked the question, were Fairfax County Public Libraries ever segregated? And if they weren't segregated, how is it possible that the school system was segregated while the libraries weren't? And maybe was there any other kind of limiters that may have been in place at the time at the library? So our library director asked us to research this and also look at what was going on at the other surrounding Northern Virginia public libraries. And she wanted us to give a presentation to the board later that fall. So it was due to Dr. Hampton's question that we embarked on this research. Suzanne and I, we divided the research. I looked specifically at what was going on at Fairfax County Public Library, and she took on looking at everything that was going on in Northern Virginia. We looked at the library archives. So Fairfax County Public Library in the Virginia Room, we have all of the library records. We have all of the meeting minutes. We have scrapbooks and correspondence and bookmobile records. So we had to go digging through those. We also reached out to other libraries. So Alexandria Public Library, Loudoun County Public Library, and we were doing this throughout the pandemic. So that kind of made things a little bit of a struggle. And it also quickly became apparent that nobody had ever embarked on this research before. So we were doing original research. Ultimately, what we did at the end of it all, we compiled it into a 100-page report. We presented it to our library board. They posted the report online so we could make sure that this information was publicly available and that people could learn from the history. And it was from there that they encouraged us to write a book so we can reach more people and make sure that more people were aware of this story. So what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in uncovering the history of library segregation in the region, and how did you overcome them? It quickly became apparent that nobody had ever researched this in Northern Virginia before. So with the exception of desegregating Alexandria Public Library, which was a very well-known and, and documented case, 
nobody really else had written about what was going on. Alexandria in particular was well known because in August 1939, Samuel Tucker led one of the first civil rights sit-ins in this country, but unfortunately it, it failed to desegregate the library. But with the exception of that case, we were doing original research. Over the years, many public libraries in the area in Northern Virginia had published histories about how they came to be and, and their early efforts and all that, but there wasn't anything that touched on desegregating public libraries or whether their libraries were even segregated. So we were kind of working from, from square one. And one of the things that we had to do was like read through all of these old historic library board minutes, do some in-depth newspaper research. And we were doing this during the pandemic. So a lot of the in-person libraries that we'd like to go in person to research at were, were close to us. So that was a little bit of a struggle at the beginning. A primary difficulty was that this history tends to be buried. So researching it wasn't as simple as going to the written books and, and resources where library systems had written their histories. It's often not part of the written history of a particular library system, probably because nobody's really proud of it now. So often we did have to dig into the archives, access, as Chris was saying, old board minute meetings, or conduct oral histories to find out more. Some of the archives where we wanted to do research being closed during the pandemic, we often would reach out to libraries librarians who did have access to their archives and ask if they could provide us with information. Some of the libraries had also decided that because of the pandemic, it was a good time to close for renovations and that sort of thing. So a number of them were also closed for, you know, a year or more because of that. And so we had limited hours to conduct our research and many of the other institutions where we hoped to do research were closed or had restricted access. So that was also something we had to work around. That's why it was good that we made this into a book because after we finished our report to the board, but before we finished our book manuscript, that's when things started opening up again. And we were able to get into some of those archives that had previously been closed to do some more in-depth research, particularly on Falls Church, Prince William County and Washington DC libraries. During your research, did you uncover any surprising information? As librarians, it was surprising and disheartening to find out about some of the exclusionary practices that went on, and some specific examples of that were hard to hear. In Vienna, there was a segregated library for whites only, and one of the incidents that Chris found out about was that some children had checked out books from that library. They were Black children, and when the library found out that they had the books, somebody from the library board went to the children's home to take back those books because they were not supposed to have them because of their race. That was just rather appalling to read about. Similarly, Chris found that the whites-only library had, in the 50s, hosted a minstrel show to raise funds for the whites-only library. So that was kind of another shocker where your jaw kind of drops and you think, what were they thinking, you know? Also, I was a little surprised to find that the Virginia Library Association and the American Library Association were just not as proactive in desegregating the libraries as we today would think they should have been records of the Virginia Library Association bulletins from the 50s. And um, they were hosting a library conference in Richmond and the hotel where everyone was staying for the library conference was whites only. So if you were a Black member of the Library Association who was attending the conference, you would have to contact a particular person to find lodgings at the HBCU nearby. So that was a little bit disconcerting to read about. The most shocking thing, I think, was the American Library Association was very passive 
about desegregating libraries. They were already in existence when Samuel Tucker did the first sit-in at the library in Alexandria, and, and they didn't come to a support. And shockingly, it wasn't until 1961 when the ALA added language to their Bill of Rights saying that the rights of an individual to use a library should not be denied or abridged because of race or religion or, or political views, etc. And that was really disheartening as a librarian to realize that the ALA just didn't support that at all. It took them so long to come around for that. Fairfax County Public Library, I mean, having grown up there as a kid and, and using it, realizing since it was founded that originally they had a segregated book collection. So the whites couldn't use any books that were designated for Black citizens and Blacks couldn't use any books that were designated for, for white citizens. And at the same time that if you were white and living in Fairfax County, you can access library books either at a local school, you can access it at some of the existing town libraries that were in existence in the county, a variety of different places, bookmobile stops, bookmobile stations, and the Black citizens could only access it at two bookmobile deposit stops. They weren't even allowed to access the bookmobile itself and browse it. The, the books were just dropped off at these two stops in, in Fairfax and Falls Church. And even then, it only existed for a couple of years, and the library system decided to discontinue the segregated two book deposit stops altogether in the 1940s. That was really shocking to discover as well. How did the libraries in Northern Virginia differ from those in other parts of the country during the era of segregation? In 1946, the Code of Virginia stated that libraries receiving state aid should be serving all residents. But as we know, uh, many, many libraries were not serving all residents. In much of Virginia, um, Jim Crow was, was still going on as far as people having to sit in different seats in the bus and all of that. So in many ways, uh, Northern Virginia was like the rest of Virginia. It's also unique because Northern Virginia is sandwiched between the relatively progressive city of Washington, D.C., where the Library of Congress and the D.C. Public Library were integrated from their very beginnings. In fact, the Library of Congress even had Black library staff working in the 1800s when they first opened in the building that they're in now. Northern Virginia Black scholars, in some cases, had access to D.C., even though they were living in Virginia. And I think that really shaped a lot of the activists that we write about in the book. For example, Samuel Tucker was able to go to high school as well as college in Virginia. But the streetcar that he used to travel back and forth, when it came into Virginia, it would be subject to Jim Crow law. And there was an incident where a white woman asked Samuel Tucker and his brother to give up their seats when the streetcar passed into Virginia. And the boys refused and they were charged with disorderly conduct for refusing to give up their seats and they were fined. The stark difference between Washington, D.C. and Virginia, even Northern Virginia, was I think one of the motivators for Samuel Tucker to be such an early activist in 1939, when he initiated both a lawsuit and a sit-in at the Alexandria Library near his home, because he had been traveling to Washington, D.C. to use the library at the Library of Congress and Howard University and D.C. Public. But when an Alexandria Library opened two blocks from his home in Virginia, he wasn't able to use the library there. So naturally, he was incensed. And he planned the now famous protest where young men were arrested for sitting in the Alexandria Library. And that resulted in a, a segregated library being built for Black residents, but did not result in, in full integration. 
Even Jenny Dean, who we write about in the book, who was um, born enslaved in the mid-1800s, after emancipation, she was approximately a teenager, she was able to travel into D.C. to get paid more for her work. And she was able to make connections with people who had some influence so that when she started the Manassas Industrial School for Colored Youth, which opened in 1894 and had a Carnegie Library built in 1910, she was able to travel to D.C. She met people of influence who could donate to that project, possibly without access to D.C., she wouldn't have been able to make those connections, which resulted in a Carnegie library that Black students were able to use in Northern Virginia at a time when they wouldn't have been able to use any other libraries. I think that's what makes our book unique because it's representative of the situation in the South and in Virginia, but it's also a unique situation with our being sandwiched between Washington, D.C. and the Deep South. Speaking of Samuel Tucker and Jenny Dean, do you want to talk a little bit more about the roles they played in fighting library segregation? The Black activists that we write about in the book were um, instrumental, really, in desegregating the libraries. Because as I mentioned, even though the Virginia Code stated that the libraries receiving state aid must serve all residents, in 46, and even after Brown v. Board in the 50s, there were whites-only public libraries that were not allowing people of color to, to use the library. So, and it really wasn't until activists like Samuel Tucker and the Murrays in Loudoun County, stood up and initiated lawsuits and protests that some of these libraries finally were forced to desegregate. And oftentimes, the public library was the first institution in a city or county to desegregate. That was the case in Loudoun County when Samuel and Josie Murray initiated legal action to desegregate the public library in Percival, which is part of Loudoun County, Virginia. It became the first desegregated building in Loudoun County. Because of that, it served as an example. This happened in Petersburg as well, where once the public library in Petersburg was desegregated, thanks to Wyatt Walker, who later became the right-hand man of Martin Luther King, Because of that, the other buildings and institutions in the city quickly became desegregated as well. So in many ways, these library activists really led the way and paved the way for other desegregation to occur. Do you think there are lessons we can learn from your research and the history of library desegregation that we can apply to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion in libraries today? Black citizens turned activists made the final push to desegregate public libraries in Virginia that remained segregated well into the the 50s and early 1960s. Their activism that paved the way for more equitable library services and in turn expanded opportunities for their fellow citizens. And very much today, there still is indeed barriers to library access. But public libraries continue to evolve towards more inclusive practices. And these can include like diversifying staff, eliminating library fines and fees that inhibit use. You see that going on a lot, especially locally in in Northern Virginia here. There's a deepening outreach to underserved communities and embracing principles of universal access. So knowing the history and having the knowledge of past injustices and the efforts involved in overcoming them further empowers public libraries to grow stronger in in the future. So for any of our listeners intrigued by this podcast, want to look into their own library's history, do you have any tips? So as a matter of fact, I wrote a piece for Public Libraries Online for people who want to research the history of their own library system and what access uh, people of color had to their libraries. It can be found uh, Public Libraries Online. You can do a keyword search for my last name, LaPierre, and I think that would be a good starting place for for folks who want to get some ideas of, of how to get started. Last question. What other projects are you working on and do you have any plans to continue exploring the history of civil rights or libraries in the future? 
there's still so much to the overall story and so many buried treasures in terms of local history waiting to be brought to light. We are continuing to research the integration history of libraries in other parts of the country, but especially other parts of Virginia. I'm also interested in looking more into the D.C. history and how D.C. and Northern Virginia are intertwined in the history of library integration. But I'm also currently putting together an outline of the desegregation situation in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, Winchester, Virginia. And I have upcoming an interview with a retired librarian who grew up in Washington, D.C. during Jim Crow as a Black woman, and she um, hopefully will help me help shed some light on what that was like for her. Before this project became a labor of love for Suzanne and I, I had been researching and started writing a book about history of prefabricated diners in, in Northern Virginia. And most people think of diners being in New Jersey or New York, which is where most of the diner manufacturers were. So that's a project that I'm hoping to pick back up on after since we published this book and, and kind of finish finish that book. Well, that all sounds great. And I look forward to seeing what you both are doing and the results of that. Any last words you want to share with our listeners? I would to add that um, Dr. Sujatha Hampton, who um, initiated this research in a way by asking the questions that caused us to delve deeper into this history, uh, she wrote the foreword to our book. So in her capacity as both a library board member and a Fairfax County NAACP member and official of the NAACP, gives a lot of context, I think, to why she asked the questions to begin with, why she believed this research needed to be done, and how she feels like this research fits into what's going on today um, and current events. And I'll just add to say that we're excited to get this story out and to make people more publicly aware about what was going on in in public libraries in Northern Virginia. And most importantly, a lot of these civil rights activists have kind of fallen out of the spotlight over the years, and we're excited to to put them back into the spotlight and making sure that their hard-fought efforts into desegregating the libraries are put back into the public limelight. And we hope that'll do that. Thank you so much, Suzanne and Chris. That was Suzanne LaPierre and Chris Barbashak, librarians in the Virginia Room at the Fairfax County Library in Fairfax, Virginia. You've been listening to FYI, the Public Libraries podcast, a production of the Public Library Association. We hope you gained some valuable insight from this episode. Don't forget to check out all of our past episodes at www.publiclibrariesonline.org and find out more about the Public Library Association at www.pla.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.